Scary Mysteries Twisted Twos, Eric Cook, and Stella Williamson. Tales of Hauntings, Murder, and Scary Mysteries. Every week, Twisted Twos dives into a pair of uniquely terrifying true stories that are worthy of a more in-depth look. For this week, we check in on a brutal Australian killer and a unique but equally twisted woman named Stella Williamson. Get ready for Scary Mysteries Twisted Twos. Number 1. Eric Cook On October 24, 1964, Eric Edgar Cook became the last man to be hanged in Western Australia. Hailing from Perth, the 33-year-old killer was tried and hung for committing 22 violent crimes, eight of which were cold-blooded murders. Dubbed as the Night Caller, he was born on February 25, 1931 in Victoria Park. The subject of a violent childhood, he was the oldest child and the only boy born to an alcoholic father who didn't want him. His dad's hate and disgust resulted in Cook being routinely beaten and abused. At school, he was equally bullied for a facial deformity that caused him to mumble when he spoke. Being a social outcast, Cook entertained himself by spending his nights doing petty crimes and committing vandalism. He soon escalated in his bad behavior and was thrown in jail for 18 months after burning down a church because they rejected him during a choir audition. By 21, he had joined the military but got discharged when they discovered his previous conviction. At 22, he married Sarah Lavin and together they had seven children. Despite having a wife and kids, he continued to wander the streets at night conducting minor offenses and was a self-confessed peeping Tom. Cook terrorized the locals and they were none the wiser of his existence until Australia Day on January 26, 1963. That's when a series of shootings began happening in the suburbs of Perth. The first victims were a couple sitting in a parked car. They were shot in the neck and hands, but both managed to survive. Next, it was a man sleeping in his home who had left his front door unlocked. Cook came in and shot him in the head, but miraculously, he survived as well. Unsatisfied, Cook began ringing doorbells and shot whoever came to answer. By the time the night was over, he had shot five people in total and killed three of them. The case baffled police because the victims were random and there was no clear motivation for the killer. Cook continued his rampage, killing and injuring several more people in the following months and despite the police efforts, they couldn't pinpoint who the next victims would be or who they were up against. Edgar Cook was what they call an opportunistic killer who used different methods to terrorize and kill. Victims had no specific traits that he fixated on, and he used different weapons, usually whatever was around or convenient for him. There were victims killed because they interrupted his robbery, and others murdered without having anything taken from their home at all. Residents back then were trusting and simply left their car keys and their ignitions regularly. Cook took advantage of this and would often steal those cars use them for a while, sometimes in hit and runs or other crimes, and then return them without the owner knowing any better. But of course, his crime spree couldn't last forever. In one of their investigations, authorities discovered a rifle hidden in a bush in Mount Pleasant. They performed ballistics tests and it was identified as the weapon in the murder of university student Shirley McLeod. Shirley was shot dead inside her home. After confirmation, they returned the gun to the location, hoping the owner would come and collect it. For 17 days, police stayed staked out, and Cook eventually did show up. He was promptly arrested, thus ending his murder spree. Surprisingly, he was very forthcoming with his crimes and admitted to 8 murders and 14 attempted ones. 
Cook even provided details about his crimes, even the older ones, offering information only the perpetrator knew, including how much money he took from the homes when he did. It was during his arrest that he confessed to crimes not previously linked to him, including two murders where other people had already been convicted. The murders of Jillian Brewer and Rosemary Anderson were investigated, and other people were convicted and served for the crime before Cook came out to confess. In the end, he was charged with multiple murders in November of 1963 after a three-day trial. Hours before he was executed, he swore on the Bible and again vowed that he had killed Brewer and Anderson. The men convicted of the crimes, Daryl Beamish for Brewer, still served 15 years in prison despite Cook's confession. The same goes for John Button, who served five years for the killing of Anderson. His conviction was quashed in 2002 after evidence showed it was Cook who actually killed the victim. Number 2. Stella Williamson At the age of 76, Stella Williamson of Galitzin, Pennsylvania died of natural causes on August 25, 1980, and it was a tough time for the few friends that she had. Guy Schrack lived in her home as a boarder, moving in from across the street after his own wife passed away. After burying his friend, Guy went back to their home and tried to put Stella's things in order. It was here that he discovered a sealed envelope with the date, February 1960. The letter inside read, Today I started to bleed and I want to make things right if anything should happen to me. In the attic in an old trunk you will find babies I had to Howard Drass 30 years or more. How I got away with, I don't know, but I did so. I don't want anyone else to be blamed for something they know nothing about. This is one reason I could never marry anyone else. I've lived a good life since, so as God is my judge, this is the truth. Please forgive me if you can. The letter was signed by Stella. And as a postscript, she added, He never wanted me, only something to play with, and I was a fool in his hands. Shocked by the contents of the letter, Guy called in the state troopers. He explained that he had moved into William's home as a boarder after his wife died. He never knew Stella was ever pregnant, and she had never mentioned it before either. As for the attic, he told police he had only been there once when he first moved in and stored a huge deer bus. He saw the trunk but didn't think he had any business with it or being near the attic at all, so he never bothered to check it or go back up. Police took the trunk and transported it to the coroner's office. When they opened it, they found bundles wrapped in old newspaper. When the newspaper was removed, the coroner ran it through x-rays, proving indeed these were human remains. The bodily fluids had saturated the newspaper, causing it to harden and act as a makeshift coffin for the tiny bodies. A total of five babies were found bundled inside the trunk. About four were deemed to be newborn, while the fifth was believed to be nine months old. The bodies were further examined by Dr. William Krogman, a noted anthropologist who determined the cause of death and possible birth year of the babies. The newspaper used to wrap the remains were also used as clues. When everything was examined, it was determined the first baby killed in the massacre was between 1923 and 1925, since they were wrapped and rewrapped in newspaper. It was followed by a baby born in 1927, and then another in 1929. Then two others were bundled in 1932 and 1933. At least three of them were clearly murdered, with ligature marks wrapped around their small necks, and the child born in 1932 was almost a year old. 
It had a scarf-like ligature wrapped around its neck and the edge of the scarf formed into a ball was shoved into its mouth. This distorted the young child's face, giving it a horrific appearance. Investigators tried to find out who could have known about the existence of the babies and give clues about their deaths. However, most of those who could possibly know were either dead or senile. Stella Williamson was the last of her family to die and the boarders that lived with them were also gone or didn't know anything. The letter that she wrote pointed to a man named Howard Drass as the father and police discovered that Drass himself was 84 years old and alive. He was senile though and paralyzed to an extent where he couldn't hear, write, or talk. Although he married someone else later in life, the wife never knew of Howard's past. Police believed Drass knew of the existence of the babies but had nothing to do with the murders. So with no hard evidence, investigators were forced to close the case. On October 28, 1980, the coroner, John Barron, decided to give all the babies a proper funeral. Howard Drass died later on November 5, 1980, just two months after his five children were discovered. So there were two of the most psychotic and murderous stories around. The world can be a crazy place and Twisted Twos is sure to show you why. If you enjoyed this video, then please remember to subscribe to our channel. We have new Scary Mysteries videos coming out every single week that we know you'll enjoy. Thanks again for watching, and I'll see you soon.